it sounds too daunting, but they will learn the same skills but in a different way, perhaps being in that project group. So I think one of the mistakes is we very quick to dismiss the action learning. We think that it may be not as structured, but I think the value of really going there and doing it, it really helps you to get into that discomfort earlier. Welcome to the Making the Career Leap podcast. I'm Lynn Loy, a talent advisor and recruiter based in Singapore. If you're thinking that it might just be time for you to change your current role or career, then this is absolutely the right podcast for you. In each episode, you can expect to hear the fascinating stories and perspectives of talented individuals I've met through my work and network. It gives me great pleasure to have these in-depth conversations that dive into the why, what and how behind the big moves that these professionals have made across different domains and industries, as well as how they might have also enabled others to make similar career leaps. If you're new to the podcast or want to tell your friends about it, just visit makingthecareerleap.com to access all podcast episodes and transcripts or search for Making the Career Leap on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you prefer the video format, you can also watch the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at career podcast. Now, let's go on to our interview with Wendy Go. Welcome, Wendy, to the Making the Career Leap podcast. It was really great to see you and have you on today. So I just wanted to welcome you and get things started by having you to share perhaps what is one myth about our career that you've come across before that you think is completely untrue, right? Maybe we can start off from there. I suppose the one myth that I feel is untrue is the fact that we work so hard when we leave school, we plan for that one career or that one job. I think we should not look at planning a career as a job, but really more like a portfolio of skills. And mm. perhaps that is where I'm coming from, where today we tend to see that building a portfolio of skills becomes more relevant than just looking at building towards that new job. And for people who don't know the both of us and are listening to this, mm. we, <laughs> we actually go a couple of years back when I know you as a really effective coach to young talent, but I know that's not it. You've done like many different things. So I'm just wondering if you could maybe share a bit more about your background. How did you become an expert in the field of learning design as well as uh, organization development? I didn't actually land this job by applying for it. I, I didn't right. know I was going to be a learning person when I left school. When I graduated, it was the Asian financial crisis actually at the time. And it was quite hard to land a permanent job. The very first job offer I got was a sales job with a financial institution. And I figured, okay, I know I'm not going to be good at sales. I've done sales in my temp jobs before, but I thought, it's more important for me to get started somewhere. I went in and true enough, I didn't think I was making it out. And so I had a conversation with my manager and I thought that was the career changing moment for me. When I spoke to her and I told her my challenges, she too noticed that actually I was a lot better in other aspects of the job, helping yeah. my colleagues settle down, train them on products and services. So she actually suggested, she said, there's a job opening in a <laughs> department looking for internal trainers and whether I would be willing to consider. So in long story short, is that's how I started. So that's how I got mm -hmm. myself into this career. It really took that conversation with my manager to consider the opportunity. So that's how yeah. I got into this. And that's so interesting, yeah. right? You actually yeah. initiated this conversation and this is your first job. And how long after you started did you initiate the conversation? Was it like after a year? Yeah, it was actually into my kind of just after a year, into 18 months into the job. And the first year, they always say you give it a go and you try, maybe you're new. 
And then you start, okay, you really start to think about your second year. But I didn't think it was cutting out for me. Yeah. So I decided I had to talk to my manager because I wasn't going to do well. I wasn't going to give my best and I wasn't going to perform. And I didn't want to land myself in that situation. And it's so interesting mm-hmm. because when I hear you describe that, it sounds like pain of potentially not performing well in the role outweighs the pain of initiating the conversation, which I'm assuming wasn't the most natural or comfortable thought to have that conversation with your manager. It sounds like you might have taken a bit of courage, but it's between the two, which one is more painful? (laughs) Or rather, which one is less painful? And do you think of it in a different way? Like when you thought about why you needed to have that conversation, because it it takes a fair amount of courage. I think it's not that common. I would hear people would do that. I have to applaud my manager for creating a very safe environment Mm -hmm. to talk about how I was settling in. So I think a lot was also to do with my manager who created that environment. And I think being new somehow, I felt there was nothing to lose. I wanted advice and I wanted to be honest. I'm not, I could get (laughs) And it was from the perspective of asking for help and advice that she gave me some suggestions based on the observation. So maybe that worked out because it was a partnership between manager and myself. Oh, that's a really good point, right? So you're pointing out the fact that your position was not, I can't do this role. Give me another role. What else can I do? It's more of, hi, can I seek your help and advice? Because this role does not seem to be necessarily a very good fit. What do you think I could do? It's so subtle, but it makes a world of difference in how the message is received. Yeah, in fact, it turned out well. So I'm glad it did. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I know. It's yeah. very interesting. I just feel like it's a really important point to emphasize because I do hear people tell me like, oh, you know, I want to leave and find a new role because there's nothing else for me to do in that organization. And then when I asked them, have you had a conversation? And they said, yeah, my manager just told me there's nothing else that I could move into right now. But I wonder if their approach was just give me another role or I'll leave versus, hey, manager, can you help me? What else can I do? And the message might have been received quite differently. Indeed. And I'm totally with you on that. And I suppose if you look at what really happened was the identification of skills and what you're noticing Mm. about your skills and what you're doing that you're bringing to work, it does offer an opportunity. Sometimes it's not just saying, boss, hey, I can't solve my problem. I need a new role or a new job. But it's about saying, I've noticed these things that I'm doing, which I feel I'm doing well, Mm -hmm. able to contribute. What do you think? And could we find a way to use these skills in another area or another capacity? And even if it isn't, at least you had a chance to explore that. So I guess on the point of skills, right? The reason why I wanted to really invite you to come and share a bit about this, because in terms of what I'm seeing right now in the market, the idea of skills being made obsolete fairly quickly, perhaps Mm -hmm. certain skills as new tools and things that are coming out. I think there's definitely some anxiety. At least what I've observed is people are wondering whether they have stayed up to date with the skills that's actually valuable in the market. Are they learning Mm -hmm. the right tools or do they have the agility and the right type of the the toolkit of skills that they can actually use in their roles and keep them relevant and desirable in the job market? And I'm just wondering, what's your thoughts on that? And how do you help as a learning professional to introduce resources on how they can navigate this? That's a big question. Break it down. Break it down. So when you talk about the skills to stay relevant, I think that it's such a big topic because we have this notion about, okay, I, oh, this is a new skill. Let's go and learn it, right? But I actually think that more learners should step back and say, when is the opportunity for me to immediately use this skill? Because a skill can be learned, Mm. a new knowledge can be learned, but until you actually use it, and becomes mm-hmm. part of your repertoire, your experience, that then counts as really your 
own skill that you're bringing. I guess the point I'm trying to make, Lynn, is the just-in-time learning and the just-in-case learning mm. does come into play when it comes to new skills. Do I learn it because I think, oh, I'm going to need it? Am I learning it because I can use it and it's relevant for the changes that's coming ahead for me in yeah. my role or in my industry? So it's being very connected with changes that's happening around. So it's quite an external looking perspective to learning, if you will. I think though, the other question that you had is that how do we help learners then navigate the learning, mm. right? What kind of learning should they adopt? I think it's really thinking about what kind of skills you have in your toolbox that you are not using. Maybe could you use them? If not, what kind of tools do you need to add to enhance the way that you are doing things? So maybe that notion of learning and relearning comes in. And this is probably what a lot of educators and trainers talk about. People say, oh, I've learned all of this. This is not new stuff. But then yeah, <laughs> very often, yeah. oh, I've gone to so many of these presentation skills courses. I've done all of that. But then the challenge becomes, are you bringing the new version of your skills to the fore? Do you need to revisit those skills to sharpen them? So maybe the notion of new skills are maybe skills that we already have. We don't revisit them enough to sharpen them and enhance our version of that skill that it becomes new, it becomes current mm. because there are many new things that we could learn, but whether that's relevant and is it current for our job? I think that's probably the discussion. I think there are a few things that I was just thinking as you were talking about this, right? Because we both did further studies, I guess, in this HR type of space, the idea of understanding what's the differences between a knowledge, skill and ability, right? Just thinking about people who tell me about, do they have the skills in these areas? Mm. And sometimes I feel people might confuse that with tools or new software, right? For example, in marketing, Marketo or other types of kind of marketing software is like on trend. But at the end of the day, the skill is learning how to perhaps make sure that you are having really high conversion rates in every campaign, right? Achieving a high click-throughs in your ads or things like that. It's still the skill that you're looking at regardless of the tool that you are doing because I think that skill is if you're a beginner's level, all you're doing right now perhaps is just complete trial and error right but then at an intermediate level you are like targeting that profile customizing your outreach based on different types of profile that you're looking for and then when you're super skilled it's more like you know you are going beyond just uh, targeting specific profiles but you're even perhaps tying that back to maybe customer surveys or things like that, that you have actually gathered, making the, the understanding a lot more nuanced and deeper in the messaging. Mm, to me, okay. it's clearly that's a skill, you know, about the tool. But I get the feeling that a lot of times when people talk about like you said, I've gone for this presentation class. They are picking up knowledge, but actually that's not skill enhancing until they're actually practicing. I'm just yeah. curious whether you help learners to understand that because I think you're like also alluding to that. It's not really a muscle until you actually use it. <laughs> I think it's looking at what can we use today to change the way we work. It's a way of working. And people attend presentation skills, they go, oh, I've learned this. It's about saying, let's put what we have learned out the door and let's relearn it and say, can we bring a different set of lens to the way we present today? Yeah. What do my clients want to see today? What engages my audience? That mindset of learning has to shift. I'm coming in with a fresh pair of lens. I'm going to get into the topic chew on it, digest it, and say, what can I get out of it? So there's always something new that mm. you can pick up, which can change the way we work. Yeah. So as I'm hearing you say about skills, then I'm also layering that on with the thinking behind 
the approach to learning, the motivation to learn, the mindset to learn is really important. Otherwise, it's just, okay, I'm just going to attend the course and then I come out. And, and some people actually don't. They learn whatever they've learned before. They come back and it's about just being a better version of what you've got for the job that you have on hand. Why do you feel like that's really important? Because as obvious as it may sound, right, some people are just, mm. my company sent me for this course, so I just went to learn it. Are you saying that it needs to be tied to some type of intrinsic motivation or there is a need to find that on superficial, just check the box, I'm here to you know, complete this, this course in terms of how they are trying to learn these new skills. They're just going through the motion. Right. You don't need to be very invested, I mm. guess, is what I'm trying to understand. Like, what do you see as a difference when you have these two different mindsets? I think one mindset is learning as an mm. event, and one mindset is probably the process. I feel when a learner goes in wanting to be a continuous learner, you're always curious. It's that curiosity isn't just about something new that I'm going to learn, or I'm going to attend this event and that's so I can learn something. It's about saying, okay, what is it connecting with me? So the process is, I think, very important. Today, yeah. the buzzword is, so we need to be lifelong learners. We need to have <laughs> continuous learning. And most people don't really stop to think about what does it really mean for us individually, how we like to learn. And the process of learning means, can you do it differently? Can you do it better? Is there a way that others can observe others and say, hey, he's doing something quite interesting. Shall try that out. So yeah. learning becomes very alive and very dynamic. So I think the difference here is the dynamic portion of two different learners going into a program. One seeing it as a process and one <laughs> seeing it as an event. So I guess this is a meta learning question. Is it possible mm. to learn that learning skill then? <laughs> you know, or do, you, do you feel that's innate? Because it sounds like the mindset is key. It's like foundational before you even start the process <laughs> of learning. I'm going to say something, but I know this sounds a little very far away, but if you believe in the evolution theory, right? Mm. People will want to be better versions of themselves, right? So maybe minus that survival piece, because it sounds a little aggressive, but I think to stay relevant, maybe that's a better word. It's really about that theory that some truth evolution makes us better people so that we can be better versions of ourselves and we can then be relevant and, and add value. So I don't know if that's meta thinking. How do so you think that it's almost like a, from a survival perspective, right? We are very, like really engineered to do that because if we don't do that, basically we don't reproduce, right? So yeah. <laughs> you don't survive it's like parents right you want kids to be a better version of ourselves right so you nurture mm. them and you give them the best so that they can be even better so i feel that history has shown that it's part of us as human beings but can mm. we learn that i think it goes back to how self-aware we are what are the obstacles and the blockers that prevent us from doing that is probably more important can we learn to identify those blockers rather than to learn mm. the skill of continuous learning is what stops us from continuously learning maybe it's our ego yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you go to a class, right? You go, yes, it's so junior, you know, and I'm the most senior person in the room. I feel very embarrassed. I feel very like vulnerable. Am I in the right place? I think that's one of the mistakes I feel about learning when we tend to create the same program for different levels of experienced learners. Sometimes it's important. Talking about a technical skill where there's a base. But I think that the cross-sharing and the richness of learning comes from what we bring to the room individually. It's not where we are in the hierarchy. Again, it comes back to your first example of how your boss, your first manager gave you that very safe environment to share. My experience of going through all these kind of different learning sessions, some experiences, seminars, is it really depends how comfortable people are how safe they feel to share. Even if you get a good mix of people, if the facilitator is not very inviting and knows how to manage the responses of, of people and encourage sharing, it can be quite an uphill battle, I 
think. Yes, that's why like, you know, people like us in human resources, we think about how to design learning interventions that can promote the right environment for learning to take place. Yeah, mm. and really, that's how I feel as well. Yes. Let's say if you have the good intent, you have the right mindset, and then you really want to learn these new skills, ways of working. The thing is, learning and comfort, they don't go hand in hand, right? Meaning that when you're really trying to do something new, it's just actually quite tough. And I don't know if you have some examples or things to share about, let's say, when they're struggling to stay motivated and really apply what they've learned. So they're really adopting a new way of learning or learning to flex this new muscle, this new skill that they're trying to develop. What are some tips that's really going to be helpful in those kind of scenarios where learning is becoming really uncomfortable because you're doing something that you've never done before, you're not doing it well. I think one of the suggestions that I've always worked with my learners is to say, what does success look like for you when you are good Mm. at that skill? What do you think you want to be able to do? And if you work backwards, let's break it down and set some mini goals or milestones so that when people can celebrate and see success in small steps, it can be very motivating. So for example, you remember the first time you learned to ride a bike? Yes. It's not about saying I can just go for 200 meters and can I like stay on the two wheels for just a few meters? And and when you can do that, you feel confident and you feel that, hey, what did I do? It's reflecting. It's that piece that you you learn and reflect and learn and reflect that really gives you that pause button to say, what did I do that felt good? And Mm. can I keep going? What was uncomfortable for me? How do I manage the discomfort? Yes. But with the goal in mind, because you have to have that goal. Otherwise, it will always be daunting. Like you, Mm. you can't see success. So maybe what I'm trying to say is that if you can break that goal into small bits, it won't be so daunting. And discomfort will always be there. Whenever you do change, it's not just learning. Any type of change that takes place in us, we will naturally feel that discomfort. But it's mm. what is the cause of the discomfort that we rarely sit down and think about it. For an example, I was working with someone who was uncomfortable because it was the first time managing people. And suddenly the feeling of being very vulnerable is there. The feeling that I need to know everything. The feeling that Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about me behind my back. (laughs) All those negative thoughts just came. And suppose that thinking seemed to bring out the not so nice side of this person. It didn't work for this person in the sense that instead of putting those things aside and saying, what can I do to enable my people, bring out the best in my people, it was the reverse. It's about them, not about me. So hard to do that. Yeah. So I think sometimes that example I was sharing is really what do you see are things that are blockers for you, whether it's a person's ego or the person's mm. assumption. Yeah. Or sometimes you just have to face it and then it's better to talk about it with somebody. And I think one of the things to help someone learning something uncomfortable is to find a learning buddy. I don't think we do that enough. You know, find a learning yeah. buddy, sit down and talk about how we're going, ask for help someone that you trust and you always find that it helps when a learning buddy can hold you accountable and say hey you wanted to achieve mm-hmm. that let's work towards it yeah, Maybe, that's, yeah, that, that's really one of some of yeah. the ideas to help someone yeah thank is- you so i know we talked about a couple of things there right but do you also on the flip side right so there are some really big mistakes that people keep repeating that actually from your point of view they can totally avoid it when they're learning new skills so that it makes it easier for them to apply what they've learned and these new ways of working if they are aware that these are mistakes that they should avoid that maybe we haven't covered yet mistakes so when we think about learning so i'm a big supporter of 
the 70-20-10 approach mm. to learning, where yeah. a lot of the things we learn are really action on the ground, go up a Steve and do it. So I think one of the mistakes that I find a lot of learners feel is that I, I want to learn something. What course? Where can I find that course? Like, yeah. where can I get yes. it? Yes, it's, it's very common. We want to find a program and then I learn it. And okay, I've learned. But then we tell them, hey, there's a project here. Would you like to be part of a project team? And learn it? I don't know how I'm going to like work for three months to, on that project. It sounds too daunting, but they will learn the same skills, but in a different way, perhaps being in that project group. Mm. So I think one of the mistakes is we are very quick to dismiss the action learning. We think that it may be not as structured, but I think the value of really going there and doing it, it really helps you to get into that discomfort earlier. And then you learn the skills, you get feedback quicker. So the 70-20-10 is what I think more of us can think about when we plan mm. our learning. Yeah, that's probably one I would say mistake, but one of the things that we tend to overlook, perhaps, when we learn. It's very counterintuitive, but I think now that I've talked to so many candidates, I understand when they put it down on the resume saying that, oh, I've attended whatever, like, Dale Carnegie course or spin-selling course or whatever that is. But actually, what's the goal is actually what they have achieved and how they have applied it. So have they used this to close very complex deals of a sizable amount? And that gives us the confidence that they can do well in this role that we are looking for. So... It's very counterintuitive, but I can understand why the idea is, hey, the company is investing in resources to send me for this course. That's like my value. But if the action-based learning is me putting in discretionary effort into something that's not necessarily part of my job, right? And But you call it that action-based learning. But to mm. me, oh my goodness, I need to like give so much of my time and effort to do that. I think like what I'm seeing and what you're saying also is at the end of the day, that's where the real value is in terms of you really being able to hone that skill that you are actually looking to do. You do need that opportunity to practice. Yes. In fact, yeah. I've got an example that comes to mind hmm. about someone that we were trying to hire for a change project. Yeah. So that was some time ago when I was working in the corporate. So the candidates all started to write in, right? Many of the candidates had done certain causes or certifications, but there were a couple of candidates who didn't have that, but they actually described the experience in terms of going through complex organizational changes and they were facilitating the change within their organization. Or you know, change in business transformation. So what was interesting, Lynn, is that we found that the people who had those experiences actually were able to bring the same level of knowledge and skills as somebody who might have done a course certificate <laughs> but has not applied yet. But yes. you see the richness of actually having that hands-on experience does get people's attention because you mm. can put down many courses that you attended and it's many of them. It's so empty. Know, yeah. yeah, we can't really judge that, evaluate. But even if somebody bothers to write or takes the time to write about their experience, they really want to demonstrate they've got that ability mm -hmm. and skills, yes. which I think is what we've been talking about. Like really the shift away mm -hmm. from just looking at that into really bringing something to life. And yeah. in terms of how that also leads to the kind of the work that you do. So in your own firm, Habit of Learning, I'm just curious, but when you are invited to help companies, help with their employees, with their skill development and things like that, how do you see the priority of these organizations that you consult with, right? When they look at what are the top skills that they are looking for, that they really want their people to skill up on, is that mostly on the action-based side of the learning or is it a blended approach? I think many organizations coming on to ask for core transferable skills, I think that is mm. quite common. 
where organizations want to be able to offer their employees that suite of core transferable skills. So the broad suite of the problem solving, critical thinking. I think that that's good. I feel that what we do as an organization or a consulting company is to help them say, so how do you think you can deliver that learning in a way that can stay, that sticks, mm -hmm. that can be retained such that you can get some impact and goes back to my belief that it should be as much as possible 70, 20, 10. Yeah. But one of the things that we found that was not possible for us to be in the organization to design these interventions, we suggest that they break the learning into chunks. The space learning approach does actually help to retain learning. Yeah, just like space repetition is a way yes. of memory recall. Yep. Yes. And we really sit with the client to say, what are some activities or work that you would like to embed into those post-learning action where, so as part of space learning, we also revisit, did you try that skill? What did you do with it? And when you applied it, how did it go? So it's that learn reflect cycle that takes place, which mm. I think creates that learning is continuous. It's a habit. It's not a one-off event. So yeah. whilst you're learning those skills, top skills that we talk about, it's about making the learning approach different. Mm -hmm. It creates a bit more impact on what the organizations want to achieve. I think that makes a lot more sense. In the age of all these online courses and things, there is just so much material and content out there, but the value to organizations is exactly like what you described. It's like we individualize it to how they can apply it back into the organization so that mm. they can really see that change. And what you're seeing is comes back to the name of your firm, which is that habit of learning. Mm. Right? I assume it's, there is the sense that it's not just a one-off thing, but assuming the idea here is to make it a habit so that you're getting that improvement and getting that the reps in, right? Just like an athlete. Yeah, but it does come with these challenges, Lynn. And, you know, when we tell, we suggest to organizations, they go, oh, it's going to take so long. How much is it going to cost? But actually, you can find learning champions or mentors or involve the line or more experienced managers or people in the organization to work as learning buddies. You don't really need to think about investing a lot of money. There are always ways to create a culture of learning where people are all involved in helping each other learn. So, yes. so it doesn't always have to cost money, but it does take time. It does take a yeah. lot of time, more, more time than you would. I guess the, maybe this is something like if you double click on that, right? What mm -hmm. kind of, let's say if I were somebody looking to move to a new role, what are some signs that will you think will help this person to understand whether this is a learning organization, right? Where, you know, people wouldn't think twice right? and they say that, of course, there's a learning buddy system and things like that. Are there signs that you've observed about organizations that truly have that learning culture because even as a recruiter i must say you know of course you mm. want to say all the nice things about the company but sometimes maybe it's possible to get a better sense of what the culture is especially around learning if there are some signs that we can look out for i think that would be helpful i think there are two answers to that question mm. and one is actually what does the organization, what's their philosophy in what, what kind of environment are they creating for learning? Is mm. it safe? Is it very consultative where both employee and manager or organization gets involved in deciding what to learn? I think that's one. The other thing is whether I think the employee themselves, what kind of way do they like to learn? I've had many cases of people coming in and say, oh, I joined this organization. They say they are a learning organization, but the learning budget <laughs> is so little. Okay. <laughs> but they have other types of learning activities, plenty of other opportunities to learn, which may not be just linked to a budget or having a long like catalog of programs to offer. So I think that the culture 
it really it depends on the appetite of the learner, but it's also the organization. What do they believe is the right way or the good way to support learning? I don't think it's possible to fish out telltale signs just by talking to people yeah. because we all see it differently. We may think that, That's hey, my true. organization is fantastic. Yeah. I learn a lot. But someone could come in and say, hey, actually where I came from, we did a lot more programs. Maybe it's what we want. And I think like, you know, where we are at, right, in Singapore, a lot of learners actually really want something that's very programmatic. <laughs> yeah, true. It is. Yeah. It's oh good God. for the program yeah. providers. It is. Yeah. I think the challenge is, and you said it a couple of times, right? How do you actually justify the ROI on that? That's true. So I know we've talked about a wide range of topics, and thank you so much for just sharing about it and your views on this. But I guess for the people who are listening and they are wanting to learn new skills for the purpose of making that career change, what is perhaps mm. one final piece of advice that you would? want them to take away from the conversation that we've had today? So the question I understand, Lynn, is you wanted mm. to hear, what would I think if someone wants to make a career change? Or what would be advice from a learning perspective? Mm. Yeah. I feel if you already decided that you're going to make a career change or it's the next step that you want to take, the point to recognize is that change is going to be painful and it's going to be this <laughs> uncomfortable. So I think the first conversation we need to have with ourselves is what kind of mindset do we need to bring into this change or into that process of change that we can feel invested in. Then I think mm. first, before you even talk about this, the learning and the picking up the training and all that, it's what kind of mindset. And it goes back to the growth mindset. If we think that there's only that much we can learn, we think it's going to be difficult, we think that we're going to fail, then we are really going to go into that career change process already putting blocks in front of ourselves. So I think that when we check in with our mindset and we consciously write down things that we will do, what will I do in the process of change? Remind ourselves of that i feel that the success of whatever we're going to learn and whatever we're going to embrace might be higher mm -hmm. and will make career change less daunting and less painful because mm -hmm. it will be painful <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a start maybe i'll be just but it will be painful for yeah. a start like, that's yeah. that's very true right the price to pay yeah as opposed really more looking at the motivation like what is the goal what do we want to change but we sit down and talk to ourselves a bit more it prepares us for what might come ahead of us when we're preparing for that career change. Yeah. That's interesting. Indeed, especially in mid-career where it's typically the more difficult group to shift because you have achieved a level of career success already and you have learned so many things and then now you are going in to make a career change where you might be taking a few steps back. But I like to see this as rock climbers. There is no one path to climb a rock, sometimes you've got to go down, figure out another path to move back up again. So it's really how you want to navigate this. If you want to see it as a ladder, then yes, when you make a career change, it may look like it's coming down. It may. But if you look at it from climbing a rock wall, you're really looking at possibilities of moving up as long as you're moving. I think that's really helpful and thanks for sharing that. And it's really nice to connect with you in this different format. I guess I feel we might have had some chats before, but just having that level of discussion and going deeper into it is something that I really enjoy and reason why I want to do this, you know, kind of interview with you. So thank you so much for, for sharing this and yeah, I look forward to maybe we can have you back on sometime in the future. Yeah. Lynn, thank you. I really always enjoy talking to you. Like-minded HR people, we always yeah. come to these topics. We can keep talking on and I appreciate that to you have invited me to come and mm. just chat with you to share a couple of that maybe they're true to me but I feel that really there is no one way or one right way to approach this but I think it's really more of what we need to be conscious of and how we're going to 
uh, intentionally take our own learning forward yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. I think that's exactly why I think we connect. I don't really believe like there is only one way to go about careers or to go about changes. But the thing is, not having a single way doesn't mean there is no right way. There is also the less painful and easier way to go about the changes, which I think you shared us a couple of really helpful strategies and very practical tips and advice that I think probably would definitely benefit a lot of people listening to this. So thank you very much, Wendy. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks so yeah. much. Thank yeah. you. Take care. Bye. Bye.